Well, like uh, many of parents do, um, Heather and I, we team up when it comes to drop off and pick up of our kids. And it's a pretty important thing, you know, you don't want to forget your kids or where they're at. So Weston, he's still in preschool, so I take him, I wrangle him most mornings. And the other two, uh, their schools are side by side, Heather usually takes those. And then we swap around on pickup with Weston, we kind of organize what that's going to look like. And usually the, the older boys uh, ride home from school. So one evening, uh, Heather was uh, supposed to pick up Weston from school, she didn't forget by the way. Uh, Jackson also needed something from Dollar Tree, and uh, the plan was she was going to go get Weston, go home, pick up Jackson, go to Dollar Tree, let Jackson go in Dollar Tree, get what he needs while her and Weston sits in the car. Now, let me remind you, Dollar Tree is Weston's favorite place on the planet. And I was kind of going over this story with Heather last night to make sure she was okay with this story, and Weston was listening, he goes, no, Dad. Walmart's my favorite place. Dollar Tree's second. I was like, okay. I'll, I'll, he, like, he wanted me to let you guys know this is the way this is. So, but the, what this meant was Weston was going to have to sit in his favorite place, second favorite place on the planet, and not go in and get a toy or anything like that, and everything was just going to kind of be okay. And we already had a busy schedule. I couldn't really step in at the moment and do anything different. We had Zoom meetings that night, and I could just kind of see all of this unravel. So when Heather's telling me this plan at 4 p.m. on that day, I'm seeing Weston upset. Jackson's frustrated because Weston's making a fuss. We're a little late to dinner. Now dinner's rushed, and all of a sudden I can see Heather and I are going to have a little tension, and I could see all this coming. So I had two options. I can rework my schedule, jump in, and control things and rework it so I don't have to deal with all that chaos. Or I can just let it play out, and because I know kind of how things are going to go, whenever chaos strikes, I can sit back and say, told you so, right? <laughs> so I find myself in two places. You ever been in a situation like that? Like, that's where you are. Jumping in control or sit back and be like, I knew this was going to happen. I told you so, which is always really helpful. But I am learning there's another option, and I'm leaning into that option more and more frequently. Now, full disclosure, there are plenty of times I do that, I told you so, or plenty of times where I jump in and I manage and control the situation so I don't have to deal with the chaos. But option three is this. Maybe I first own that it won't be chaos because I'm not always right. Heather's here this morning. I'm going to say that one more time for her sake. I'm not always right. But if it is a little chaotic, here's the third option. I can trust the, the good work that God is doing in me, and I can simply cooperate with that work, and I can respond differently to the chaos around me. And that's what I did in this instance, and I was able to have a little more patience and understanding and love and help shape perspective. So when Weston got home, there was chaos. Not as much as I probably overestimated, but he was upset. It was a challenging thing. And what control would have looked like would have looked like me trying to get Weston's attitude back on track. You got to stop this attitude. Or on the other side, I could have just said, hey, I told you so. This is how it's going to look. But this is the difference of what it looked like to say, I'm not going to choose any of those. I'm going to choose to cooperate with God and the good work that he's doing in me. And I was able to ask Weston why he was upset. Well, because I didn't get a toy. And when I cooperate with that, it 
with what God's doing in my life, I really do transcend down into a little four-year-old. And not getting a toy and sitting in front of your favorite store was the most difficult thing Weston had to do all day. That was hard. So I was able to say, hey, I get, I get why you're upset. That makes a lot of sense. But let me explain to you why mom said no. Let's talk about that. And then I was able to say, yeah, you get that? Yeah, I get that. You know, so you really love your mom, right? Yeah, well, how, how do you think a best way to respond back to her would be? And we talked through that, and he responded better. And he, he didn't, like, transform his life all of a sudden. But it's like he got it. And he got that I was up, so understood that. And, like, we went on with our evening. And Heather and I, wasn't it discord with each other? And dinner wasn't all that rushed. It was just like, all of a sudden, that evening was totally different than I thought it was going to be. It was the difference of cooperate with what God's doing in me and let that flow through me versus control and manage so I don't have to deal with the chaos. So last week, Brian started this series called Savor and Shine. I love it. And it's a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount that we actually kicked off last fall before our Christmas series. And we're looking at that verse that I read off the top of the day, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And we're looking at it for four weeks. So Jesus kicks off this sermon uh, with these Beatitudes, and they're very profound. They're like shocking. What they're hearing is almost upside down. This feels backwards for how we think it's supposed to be. And I think even today, it still feels a little backwards of how we think it's supposed to be and how our culture shows it to be. So last week as he started this series, which by the way, if you missed last week's message, please go catch up. Man, it was a great message. And the song that Brian sang at the end, and if you're sitting here and didn't hear it, you're like, what? Brian sang a song? Yes, Brian sang a song at the end. He played acoustic and piano at the same time. It was amazing. Go catch up. It was a great song. And what, what I've heard from so many people was that message in that way combined with that song at the end has been so challenging. Like, oh, wow, making me rethink some things. So he said that salt preserves and it brings out flavor. By its nature, that's what it does. There's a flavor that's there. It brings it out. So when Jesus is saying that the salt, we're salt, that we preserve. And we preserve the thing that Jesus says is that people are equal. So we preserve that every human life is valuable. We're all equal. And it says we bring out the flavor that God is already up to something good in the world. And we get to help bring that out. It's a beautiful thing. He's at work always. God sees people as equal value. And he's up to some good things, and we get to join him there. But, as he said at the end of the message, we have to decide, is trusting Jesus enough? So can I trust to simply follow him and to live the way that he lives? And on the inside, for it feels like, yeah, I can do that. But live the way Jesus lives. It's a very challenging thing that he, that he calls us into. So today I get to lay this foundation of what it looks like to be the light of the world. And the good news that I shared off the top, light shines. Doesn't try to shine, just shines. And when transformed people live and love like Jesus, we illuminate what a good God is doing in an often dark and chaotic world. So let's look back at that verse again. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. 
So Jesus is standing on this hill. He unfolds these nine statements. He describes what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be a good human. This is what it looks like to live the human life, how it's designed to live. Profound statements. And then he addresses this group. And he says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Now let's rewind back to the beginning. God created this world that we live in, and it was created with beautiful, incredible harmony. Peace, harmony, shalom. And there was harmony between God and people. There was harmony between man and woman. There was harmony between man and creation. And eventually we know that that harmony is disrupted. The beautiful harmony between man and woman, the beautiful harmony between God and man turns to strife, and harmony between humanity turns to strife. There's disunity and murder and rebellion and all kinds of terrible decisions. And if we're just reading the Old Testament, like this book or this story, we'd have to stop and go, like, what is God going to do now? Like, this whole thing that was created, this is how it was supposed to be? This is how it is now? Now what's he going to do? And a few chapters into Genesis, he begins to declare covenant and restoration of creation. So by the time we get to Genesis 11 and 12, he calls this nomad by the name of Abram. Uh, If you grew up in church, you might know him as Father Abraham. And he declares to Abraham that he's going to do something spectacular. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family, and your father's house for the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and will bless you. And I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. We've heard that scripture before, right? So God talks to Abram. He says, I'm going to, through you, I'm going to bless your family. Not only am I going to bless your family, there are going to be so many people outside your family that are going to be blessed because of this covenant that I'm making with you. He actually takes Abram. He says, hey, look up at the stars. Can you count those stars? Like, I can't, I can't count those stars. Exactly. That's how many people will be blessed by you. God was carving out a people group. He wasn't carving out like this little people to say, you guys are my chosen ones. And you are the ones that's going to be chosen. And you get to go be a blessing or pick out little people that you can bless. And that's how this God was calling a people group to live in a way that was a blessing to the world. And it it wasn't the end. It was the means to the end. It was, I'm going to share this covenant with you, Abram, and through you, the world will be blessed because it's through this covenant that everyone is going to get to get included in on this. It's a beautiful thing. So Jesus is building on this covenant call when he's standing here teaching. He's standing on the hill, and he's looking out to these people, and he's saying, you are the light of the world. He's now opening it up to all of his followers because once it was the ethnic Israel who was included to be God's people, and now the floodgates are open. All, all of the world. The hierarchy's flattened. Now it's for Jew and Greek and Gentile. And that doesn't mean a lot to us in that moment, but it meant a lot to them in that moment. It was slave and free and male and female and rich and poor, and leader, and servant, all are included now at the table of the kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. We're invited into that. So whenever we read this scripture, yes, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And we includes me. I love that. This is personal. But it's not just for me. 
It's also something much bigger that we're a part of. We are a part of this beautiful covenant of redeeming the world. We are the light of the world. It's our identity. And light shines. It doesn't try to shine. And when transformed people just live and love like Jesus, we illuminate what a good God is doing in often a dark and chaotic world. So how does that light function? So if we're the light of the world and it just shines, what does that mean? Well, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine. Everybody say, let your light shine. Now, that's going to be incredibly freeing if you lean into what that's saying. Let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things that you do and praise. Notice this, your Father in heaven. Again, back to our identity. Jesus is not saying so you can praise my Father in heaven. He's saying, you're included in on this now. This is your Father in heaven. We let our light shine. Those little words, Jesus says, let, not make. And that is a big difference. And it can be so freeing for us as followers of Jesus. And it also can make all the difference in the world to those that are on the receiving end of the light that we're shining. Being the light isn't about trying to shine. It isn't about managing perception. It's not about trying to look holy or to look pure or to look righteous. It's not about checking a bunch of boxes so you can be good. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not doing a bunch of good deeds for people. It's not saying, I got to be really good at being a do-gooder. And doing good things is good, right? But that's not the point. It's not about that we go and do a bunch of good things. Here's what I believe. If your life is being shaped and transformed by Jesus, then the good things will be the result. That's what I think Jesus is talking about. It will be a natural overflow of our life. We're responding to the good work that's going on inside of us, and the natural thing that will happen is we let our light shine. It shines. It happens. It's why it's so important that we learn from Jesus how to love like Jesus. Because he is the one that we have to take our cues from. He is the ultimate radiant one, right? That's who we're learning from. When we learn from Jesus how to love like Jesus, it's going to help us live as if Jesus were me. If Jesus were Dwayne. If Jesus were Jason. If Jesus were Jemiah. If Jesus was Brenda. We don't make it, we let it. And I've had people ask this question for me before. Well, how do I know that I'm not just doing this for me? How do I know I'm not just doing good so that it's for me? Like, how do I know God's actually leading me to do that? And uh, there's this great little matrix uh, that uh, Sky Jathani uses in his book that we've referenced a few times around here uh, called What If Jesus Was Serious? Look at, this, look at this matrix. I think this will be helpful. It's helpful for me. I'm a visual learner. So when I begin to see things, it kind of helps. He, he calls this public or private righteousness. But here's the idea that you can see. Up here in the right-hand corner, let your light shine before others. That's Matthew 5, 16. In Matthew 6, it says, be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So it's like that's confusing in a way. Like I think that's the difference of let your light shine, make your light shine. See the difference? Let your light shine benefits others, and God looks good. Make your light shine benefits me, and I look good. A big difference. 
let your light shine over here. And here's the thing. When it comes to that situation with Heather and the boys, like there are some things. Sometimes I do anticipate all kinds of things that are going to happen. And that serves our family well at times. Our three boys are still alive, partly because of that probably. <laughs> but I, I sense those things sometimes, and I can see that happening. And there are days when I can rework a schedule, not so that I don't have to deal with chaos, but maybe so it helps Heather. Like, hey, let me do this because I can see this might be challenging, and I'm going to do this for you. So all of a sudden, it benefits others. And she notices when I'm doing that out of me being frustrated, like, do you realize how your day is going to go down? This is going to be terrible. How about I just take over and rock it out and take care of it? That's not making God look good. That's making me look good. And in that particular situation, here's what happens. Weston understands that we care about him. And we don't just want him to behave. And all of a sudden, it serves the rest of our family. And, and the boys get to see me responding differently. Because I don't always respond with grace and love and patience. Do I, Jackson? Not always. It's okay to admit it. But what they see is something's different there. And what they're seeing is this is the good work of God in my dad's life. This is the good work of God in my husband's life. So I don't look good in those moments. God looks good in those moments. And what it does, it benefits my family. So what does it look like for us? Man, others benefit from it. God gets the glory for it, not us. That's what it looks like. When we cooperate with what God's up to in our lives. To learn from Jesus, we have to be open to let him do the good work in our lives. And when he does good work in our lives, it overflows. And where I say it's not always easy to say, yes, I want to follow the ways of Jesus, because we have a bunch of other ways that we're accustomed to living. We have other ways we're accustomed to thinking. There's all kinds of things going on in our culture that all of a sudden we agree with that, and now we're down this track of some other thinking, and eventually it runs up against what Jesus is actually trying to do in us and through us. And then to let our light shine, we have to let him work those things out in us. We have to be open and respond to like, oh, that's not maybe my natural way of thinking. So when I respond to what God is doing in my life, it's transforming something in me. I'm becoming a new person, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. <clears throat> John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to the people again saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here's what's important. Jesus didn't just show up and teach these things. Jesus didn't come out and teach the Sermon on the Mount or talk about these Beatitudes and say, hey, this is the way to live. He lived it. He is the example. He is the Sermon on the Mount. Look at his life. He's saying, this is the way to live. And also, yeah, by the way, I'm showing you how that actually plays out in the kingdom in reality of how it looks. It's why we have to take our cues from Jesus. He is the one. Light shines. It doesn't try to shine. And when transformed people, when we live and love like Jesus, we too shine. And what we do is we illuminate the good work that God is up to in our world that's often dark and chaotic. It's a unique way of being. He's calling us into something different when he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. Something new is here, and I'm calling you into it. Because the world we live in is still dark and chaotic, right? 
Scholars call this the already and the not yet. I like that. Here's the already. The already is God's already restored us back to him. Through Jesus, we are good with God. We are reconnected back to him, and he walks with us again. God dwells with man, in man, again. The kingdom is here, but not yet, because there's still brokenness and murder and strife and cancer and sorrow and pain. But one day, all of that will be no more. And someday the reality will be everything will be restored. But today, the kingdom is here and not yet. But the good news is we are the light of the world. When we're transformed, we live in a unique way, a different way. And the way of the world says it's about pride, pride themselves on all the things. The way of the Jesus community, it's about humility. Our culture might say that we're in control. Jesus community says we surrender and we cooperate with what God is up to in the world. The world says it's, it's all about me. People of salt and light say it's about Jesus, it's about our neighbors, it's about the margins, it's about the invisible. It's about all of us. It's about we. The way the world overpowers others, Jesus empowers others. That's what we do. We don't take the power that we have and reign over other people. We take the power that we have and we use it for good and empower others in this world. Drastically different. The way of salt and life is about how can I help? How can I serve? How can I lay down my life? How, what can I do? How can I help you? We cooperate with God and what he's up to in the world. And I don't have all this figured out. And please understand, uh, I fail at this a lot. But here's the good news. That's okay. Because I'm cooperating with God. And when I do fail, and when I do try to control a situation, God does remind me. And then what I get to do, I get to surrender back to that good news and be reminded, oh yeah, I don't have to control the situation. Because there's going to be chaos. And there's going to be darkness in the world. And I don't have to control all the chaos. I don't have to be the one single-handedly pushing back against all the darkness and, and making all that happen. And what's good news is I don't even have to feel responsible to because that's not what I'm responsible to do. My responsibility is to lean in and cooperate with the Spirit and what He's up to in my life. Let your light shine. Everybody say that. Let your light shine. Everybody say, let my light shine. Let my light shine. Let is freeing. Make let me say this, if you try to make your light shine, it's not going to be the light that needs to shine. It won't. You can make, make, make all you want, but the, the light that the world needs is the light that we let shine because it's in cooperation with Jesus and what he's up to in this world. Let is freeing. Make is frustrating. So the question is, will you surrender to that? Will you cooperate with the good work that God wants to do in you? Let him work in you. Let your light shine. In order to do that, we have to do a little work, which is get some things out of the way so that he can do that. Often, whenever God wants to work in our lives, we've got something else in the way. And in this situation, I think often it's about control. 
that we want to control the outcomes. We want to control the chaos. We want to control a narrative or whatever that might be because like you log on to social media and within about 35 seconds, all of a sudden you're wanting to set somebody straight, aren't you? Like I think I need to go and comment on this. I need to go make some light in this dark situation. They need my words right now. Or we actually do feel like we see all the hurt and the pain in the world. We think, man, it's overwhelming. And ah, well, how am I going to push back again? And we start feeling responsible for all kinds of things. Like that we have to have answers for everything that's going on in our world. We just don't. So part of the thing is we might just need to set aside control. I'm just going to not try to control all of this stuff. And rather what I'm going to do, instead of trust all the things that I'm good at, like controlling this and making sure there's not chaos and keeping everybody happy or whatever that might be, what if I set aside control and trust Jesus? And that what comes out of me is going to be the response of the goodness of God and his work in my life as I respond to whatever situation might be there. And I let that light shine. We are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill that can't be hidden, and neither do people put a light, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a stand, and it just shines on all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things that you do and praise your Father in heaven. Let the light shine. Let the good work of God show up in our lives. And we just have to surrender to that. So today, maybe for this week, just commit to I'm not going to control. And when I find myself controlling, I'm going to try to set that aside. And I wonder what God's up to in my life. Now, if what constantly comes out is anger and frustration and you're mad at people all the time. Ooh, maybe God's not doing a lot of work in your life. Maybe you need to be a little more open to what he's up to. A lot of times it's about being able to notice. Notice what he's up to. I didn't know I was going to respond to Weston that way. But what happened is I began to notice. I'm identifying with Weston. I'm listening to Weston. I'm responding in a different way. When I notice what God's up to, when I begin to see the work in, in my life, it's so much easier for me to respond to that. And sometimes I notice when there's bad things in my life. Now I get to respond back to God because he's calling me back in. He's not chastising me or beating me down. He's calling me back in and saying, let me do good work in you. So notice where he's up to. Join him in that work. Everybody say, we are the light of the world. We will let our light shine. Yeah, let's do that this week. You stand with me. Let's just close our eyes for just a moment. Let's just breathe in and out for a few moments together. Let's just let that soak in. And the thought I want rolling over in your head for just the next few moments is we are the light of the world. We let our light shine. And as you breathe in, maybe just breathe that in. We are the light of the world. And as you breathe out, we will let our light shine. Just do that for a few moments.
but you can open your eyes. Pretty easy, isn't it? Breathe in and out. What Jesus is describing is that. We let him in to our lives. We surrender to what he's up to, and we breathe out. And when God's doing good work in us, just as easy it is to breathe out, the most natural thing that should happen is God should show up in our lives. We breathe in. We're the light of the world. Christ lives within me. And we shine you, Lord, wherever we go, whatever's going on, whatever chaos, whatever's happening. We just let the good work of God shine out for others to see.